Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with thirdpeter.com. Welcome to today's podcast, which is part of the Discipleship Foundation series. This is chapter 34, entitled, What About My Rights? A study of Christ's Lordship invites us to discuss rights. A right is a guaranteed legal privilege In the United States, we have certain inalienable legal rights originating from our Creator and enumerated in our Constitution in the form of a Bill of Rights. U.S. citizens grow up expecting to have these rights upheld by their government and those around them. Over time, many other, quote, rights have been propounded, such as the right to affordable housing, and health care, although these are not of the same ilk as those in the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights lists freedoms we have that cannot be withdrawn from us by the government. The latter represent what we only have if the government provides them to us using taxpayer money. As a result of this heritage of guaranteed rights, many people begin to be rights-oriented rather than duty-oriented. Rights were never intended to replace duty, service, and hard work. When we demand that the government be our provider, we miss the point of the Bill of Rights. In a similar way, we may begin to look at God as if he were simply there to provide for our every need instead of his being our Lord and King. Jesus made it clear that we are his servants in addition to being beloved children of God. And I quote from Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. Jesus said, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper and get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. That's the new international version. If we focus on our rights, we will likely put our own desires first. The discipleship attitude taught by Jesus puts the master's will ahead of our own. Paul wrote about how a disciple should think in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, where he said, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. New Living Translation. The founding fathers of our country based their belief in rights by combining what is found in the Bible and the writings of various authors from the Enlightenment in Europe. 
Does the Bible also guarantee these rights? Let's examine three from a biblical perspective. First, does the right to free speech come from God? The Bible nowhere enshrines free speech into law. However, God does uphold our responsibility to speak freely regarding truth. Our responsibility to God always supersedes what the laws of men require. Whenever there is a conflict, God expects us to put in first. Jesus commands his disciples to speak freely about the gospel, even when such speech is legally prohibited. Today, some countries forbid speaking openly about Jesus, but that does not stop fearless people from doing it. Freedom of speech is a wonderful right in the United States, or at least was in the beginning when the government upheld it. Today, forces are at work to deny that right, but that does not stop fearless people from freely speaking if we are willing to endure the consequences. God never promises us that we can share the truth without suffering for it. Even where speech is legally free, speaking truth can be costly, even in the church. Amos 5.10 quotes the prophet saying, How you hate honest judges, speaking of the people. How you despise people who tell the truth. Freedom to worship without government interference is the second right we'll examine. This enshrines the right to follow our consciences without being persecuted or regulated by the government. Even if the government allows freedom of worship, we may encounter negative consequences for serving Jesus with a whole heart. People can be pressured to conform through shame, shunning, withholding affection, denying job opportunities, etc. Those who have worshipped God outside of the mainstream know what it means to encounter soft persecution and peer pressure. God wants us to make serving and worshipping him something for which we are willing to suffer. Obedience to God is always the top priority for those who love him, even if it is not legally sanctioned. Acts 5, 27 through 29 says about the apostles. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? He demanded. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. New Living Translation. Many of Jesus' disciples suffered greatly for following, worshiping, and speaking freely about Jesus. It did not matter to them whether it was legal or not. Searching for freedom to worship according to conscience was what brought many of the early settlers to North America. That is why they fought so hard to codify it into law. It is a wonderful right, 
but not one guaranteed by God. In fact, a disciple might be asked by God to live in a nation where there is no freedom to worship or speak freely. The third right we will examine is the right to bear arms. This was not simply the right to own weapons, but to carry them and use them if necessary. This right was enacted into law as a reaction to the British attempt to confiscate the colonists' weapons, powder, and ammunition to render them defenseless. Realizing that governments are easily corrupted and often will turn against their own citizenry, this right was put into place to allow people to defend themselves against government tyranny and any other threat. Does God endorse this right? This begs the question, does God ever approve of using violence to defend ourselves or overthrow tyranny? The answer is yes, if we affirm that the God of the judges is the same God of the New Testament, and he is. God periodically raised up men and a woman to lead Israel into battle against oppressors. I believe it is godly to fight against tyranny. Certainly, people through the ages have believed this and put their lives on the line. No father or husband would idly watch a rapist or murderer savage his family. Neither should we allow another nation or group to destroy our country even if that enemy comes from within. I believe it is our duty to protect those we love to the best of our ability. The ability to protect ourselves depends greatly on what weapons we have at our disposal. Our founding fathers wanted us to be able to defend ourselves effectively. If the government seeks to take away our means of self-defense, and make us depend wholly on it, we should resist knowing governments in general always proceed toward evil and greater control over time. Government is a beast bent on becoming a god, having supreme authority over its subjects. This is why our founding fathers built in so many checks and balances into our system. The United States is supposedly a constitutional republic in which representatives are elected to represent the citizens in making laws and enforcing them. If a government begins to ignore its own laws, it becomes illegitimate by definition and therefore without constitutional authority. The only means by which such a government can impose its will is by tyranny. Do we have the right to resist such a government? The framers of the Declaration of Independence said we do. What does God say? Christians over the centuries have argued this point, and I cannot imagine anything I might write would solve the impasse. In our own country during the revolution, citizens took a wide variety of positions from pacifist Quakers to monarchist Church of England Tories, 
to pro-war Presbyterians and patriots. Within families, there were irreconcilable differences, even within my own Beck family, some holding with Britain and others siding with the rebels. Each group, no doubt, was convinced that its own position was the right one. I believe each person must make up his or her own mind based upon their understanding of the Bible and by following the dictates of conscience. In my opinion, there is not a clear-cut biblical position. I think we can mostly agree that we do have a general right to defend ourselves from harm, which requires some form of armament. When it comes to persecution for our faith in Christ, however, it seems that God wants us to be pacifists and trust him for the outcome. Matthew 5, 38-40 reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The kingdom of God does not need defending, but earthly kingdoms do. And we are citizens of both. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. John 18, 36, New Living Translation. Paul wrote the following well-known passage about the function of government under God. Romans 13, 1 through 5 says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is right and good, and you will have praise from the same for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. That's the New American Standard Bible. If government derives from God and represents God, as is stated above, then any government that does not properly represent God by punishing evildoers and rewarding law-abiding citizens is, in a sense, illegitimate. It is also true that God may have installed it as a form of judgment against a rebellious and idolatrous people. Do we have the right to revolt against such a government? 
Our founding fathers believed we had the right and the duty to overthrow it. What does God say? Paul lived under such a government. Rome was a pagan, tyrannical government that oppressed those subjugated by its military might. Never once did Paul advocate insurrection. Instead, he used his rights as Roman as a Roman citizen to his advantage whenever he could. His main and only focus was to preach Jesus and establish local churches throughout the empire. Eventually, he was put to death by that government. Rome was not a constitutional republic, however. Citizens did not have the right or responsibility to elect their representatives as we do. Therefore, life in America today is quite different from life in ancient Rome. To argue that Christians today should passively accept all their government does ignores our responsibilities as citizens. I believe we have a responsibility to to hold our government, our representative government, accountable, especially if it becomes lawless. Indeed, our government has violated Jefferson's three primary rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For example, the life of the unborn is not protected. Lives of hospitalized COVID patients were not properly protected. As for liberty, citizens recently were pressured to take unproven and unsafe mRNA injections. January 6, defendants remain in prison without due process. As for the pursuit of happiness, how can that even be properly defined? One person's happiness may come at the expense of another's liberty or life. It would have made many pro-vaxxers happy if those who refused the jab would have been incarcerated. Many mothers end the lives of their unborn children in pursuit of their own happiness. God is pro-life and pro-liberty. Jesus came to restore both. He came to give eternal life to those dead in sin and set the prisoners free. Isaiah 61, 1. But the freedom that Jesus provides comes to those who surrender to him their right to direct their own lives. The price of life and freedom is great. Jesus had to give up his life to provide both to us who declare allegiance to him. Life and freedom are gifts that come to those who acknowledge their sinfulness and need for God and come under Jesus's benevolent lordship. The framers of our constitution unwittingly elevated freedom and rights to an almost deified status, as if they somehow exist outside of God. The exercise of freedom outside of God's will always leads to bondage and death. Just add, just ask Adam and Eve. They were free to eat from any tree in the garden except for one and live. They abused their freedom, however, and chose to eat from the one forbidden tree, resulting in death and enslavement to all mankind, to the devil.
True freedom is living in accordance with God's will. When we abuse freedom to live independently from God, we end up losing freedom. We err greatly if we believe that our rights or liberties exist apart from God. Let me read to you the following scriptures that uphold this. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And finally, 2 Corinthians three seventeen, for the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All three of those verses are from the New Living Translation. True freedom comes from God and is only found in God. Without him, freedom morphs into evil and the pursuit of rights leads to tyranny. A great example is how women's rights have been elevated to the point where it is now acceptable for a mother to kill her unborn child. God never gave us freedom to murder. The Bible and the Spirit are the dual means that God uses in the lives of his children to help them experience the true freedom that comes from being in conformity with his will. As believers in Christ, we know that we were on our way to hell before Jesus gave up his life to buy us back from slavery to sin by shedding his blood on the cross. He paid a terrible price for our freedom. We now belong to God, not ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Slaves do not have the right to run their own lives. They serve their master. If you read Jesus's words at the beginning of this lesson, you will see that is precisely what he taught his followers. Jesus lived this way too. He said that he only did what his father told him to do. John 5, 19. Yet Jesus is the most liberated and authentic person who ever lived, proving that obedient and proving that being obedient and under God's authority does not infringe on one's liberty at all. In fact, the very opposite is true. When we resist God's authority and do our own thing, we become enslaved to sin. True freedom is doing God's will. Therefore, we conclude that as citizens of God's kingdom, we lost our right to have rights as the world understands them. We belong to God and his will takes precedence over everything else. Disciples of Christ have no right to hold grudges, be, be disobedient, insist on having our own way, or to have a prominent ministry, a role in the church, government, or at work. Instead, we gain status with God by serving and considering others better than ourselves. 
We also are most likely citizens of whatever country in which we reside. We have responsibilities there as well. We walk in the tension created by the responsibility of serving God first and making other allegiances allegiances a lower priority. We must maintain the freedom to live according to God's word and our consciences, no matter what others say or do. Even if it costs us our lives, we must insist that our freedom to live for God cannot be taken away. Thank you for listening.